I'm Mark Gagan and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling an enterprise view of exposure. I have to admit that today's guest took me by surprise. Could she be the most powerful female CEO in the world? Well, maybe. She sits at the head of a global broking organisation that has $6 billion in revenue and handles around $60 billion in gross premiums. If Willis and Aon finally merge, Olga Collins will be the CEO of the world's third largest broking organisation. In this podcast, we go deep into the detail of the worldwide broker network and how it has set itself up to compete with the dwindling group of wholly owned global intermediaries. Unsurprisingly, I found Olga in bullish mood and licking her lips at the prospect of so many clients falling through the cracks as their big broker advocates work out where they stand with their current or prospective employers. Anyone who thinks the day of the independent broker has come and gone should have a word with Olga first. Her attitude is refreshing and she is probably the most client-focused guest I have ever had on the show. Listen on for a surprising and revealing encounter. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Rick J. Lindsay, Chairman and CEO of Claims Direct Access, otherwise known as CDA. We all read about the claims nightmares in the United States of America, social inflation, nuclear verdicts, and the sky is falling. Hardly a day goes by without the news of reserve strengthening at major carriers. However, it's not all bad news. In the United States of America, we have the best legal system in the world, which allows you to fight frivolous claims and litigation and come out on top. In this kind of environment, you must get smarter about how you handle your claims and who your partners are. You have to move fast and be robust. CDA has been handling claims for over 40 years nationwide and has a team of 46 claims professionals, including 12 highly skilled attorneys and litigators. We have handled cases for major Lloyd syndicates since 1994, as well as U.S.-based major carriers, and have closed over 70,000 claims since 1994 nationwide. Not settling frivolous litigations is a must. CDA claim service means going the extra mile, handling claims quickly and vigorously with a proactive approach. Why not get in contact now to see how CDA can do the same amazing work for you and your partners that they do for me every day? Visit www.claimsdirectaccess.com today. Olga, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak to the Voice of Insurance. Why don't we just start off by you giving me a big overview about the Worldwide Broker Network and how it came together and what it represents today. Well, thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. You're a legend. So we're really, really happy to be here to talk about the WBN story. It's really a great one, and it goes back a little bit over 30 years. It was really soon after the European Union formation when nine European members or country leads from the brokerage community got together and they said, you know what, let's capitalize on this. Let's figure out a way to work together, create cross-border business and have collective power and drive more business through our strong relationships. Well, from that kitchen table, Mark, it now turned into... 100 members or over 100 members representing over 100 countries. And we are the largest independent broker network competing with the largest broker firms out there on a daily basis. Now with that recent M&A, we are top three 
with over six billion in combined revenue and our capabilities expanded over time as well. And we can now service clients from large to small and everything in between and then have full service capabilities for EB and PNC. Six billion revenues. So what kind of um, gross written premium are we talking about that you're handling? We're looking at about 60 billion and north of that. So it's, it's a good story for sure from the small kitchen table back then. That is a very, very large operation when you aggregate everything, all your, your membership. So how does the network work? What do you have to do if you join? Is it an obligation to do everything through that network, everything international through that network? The independent structure really exudes flexibility for our brokers, but not only just the brokers, but for the clients themselves as well. The independence allows to have choices within geographies. And for me, a little bit of competition is healthy because it elevates the quality of service. Now, at the same time, if a client has a pre-existing relationship in a specific country, our independent structure allows us to honor that relationship and again, show more flexibility to the client. I came from the client side and I worked for one of the largest firms in the world at the time with operations across 200 countries on a daily basis, it seemed like, and then had a good run on the brokerage side, working for Beecher Carlson that focuses on complex risk management clients. And my view of flexibility is really one of the most important differentiators in our network. As far as membership, some members join because they're producing and they need a platform to service their clients and others join to service truly. And they focus on just having the service teams. Really, when the way I look at it is that one does not exist without the other. So that mutual dependency is created and that breeds the culture of caring. It's right to summarize that it's not like a franchise system where it says, I've got UK, I've got the USA, you've got Canada. It's not like that at all. So particularly in hubs like the London market or other international hubs around the world, you can have multiple members overlapping and competing with each other and also non-members as well. Absolutely. We have multiple choices in each geography by design. We all hear about M&A activity all the time. So it's really just a belt of suspenders, but also to have choices. And the choice is really what sets us apart from the big brokers that we compete with. Out of the $60 billion of premium that's flowing around the world annually, where is it going? Where is it mostly coming from? And where is it mostly going to? Obviously, I presume a lot of it, it's going from all sorts of places. But what are the strongest flows that you see? You know, it shifts. It's a moving target at all times in a good way, because at this point, I view it as a spider web. People have moved around the world. Organizations are working virtually. Certainly, e-commerce provide an opportunity in production and to increase in new geographies. So our business reflects economic trends. And some of the common industries that we all work with, they're thriving in particular world areas. So our business is really reflecting that. We handle some of the largest brands headquartered in various corners of the world. So it's all over the place. So it really just follows what the clients need and use your service that? Yes, absolutely. If you were talking to somebody about Worldwide Broker Network in a bar somewhere, hopefully after lockdown you will be, what would you say it would be best known for perhaps in classes of business, where anywhere where it might have a particular edge or expertise, or given this volume, is it almost everything? Yeah, you said it right. It's everything. It's not just that traditional insurance that we're used to, your motor insurance, your workers' compensation that's required by legal 
environments in particular countries. It's really a combination of local regs, but also contract requirements. And you know, some classes of business may not be truly required, but they're standard. Like general liability, for example, companies are looking to protect themselves. They're looking to protect their brand. Um, that created a rise of DNO and cyber, even property which, by the way, are not requirements. Litigiousness also changes when you cross border. So we definitely see geographies where certain lines of business are more pronounced than in others. But also, you know, I think the focus on duty of care brought the employee benefits to the forefront because companies are wanting to do the right thing by their workforce. It's definitely been an evolution. Is there anyone in the world where you have a gap in coverage in terms of network? I would say it really, the only thing that comes to mind are your typical embargo restrictions. Anywhere else, we have capabilities through direct membership or subsidiaries of members. And in terms of the network, what are your plans for expansion? You have to continue to evolve. And we definitely see opportunities to continue our thoughtful expansion to follow the economic growth that I just talked about in various regions. APAC, Africa, South America are definitely at the top of our list, especially with the active M&A season that we're in. Our expansion is also focused on helping our current members grow. So what I envision is playing a more active role in the sales cycle for our members by showcasing our network capabilities and being the extension of them. Additionally, we continue to look for opportunities to expand our relationships with our carrier sponsors and associate members, which really round out our capability to be a one-stop shop for our clients. Now, the way I look at expansion, it does not have to be external only. We're looking forward to starting our client advisory group to further our focus on the client. Again, starting on the risk management side of the business gives me a good perspective that getting feedback from our clients, it really needs to be at the top of our priority list. The sponsors there, what do they get in return for their sponsorship? Is it just simply a shop window to all your memberships so they can showcase their products to them and make themselves available? That, absolutely, but also the integration that we have between the brokers and carriers to collaborate, come up with better products and really service-wise elevate ourselves to be able to compete strongly. And are those associate members, are they service providers, I would assume? Is that right? Like law firms, IT, that kind of thing? Yeah, anything that your typical risk management or HR professional would need in the global environment, of course, from translation to risk engineering, those are the types of services that we want to show options for. And in terms of that split between PNC and employee benefits, what is the kind of split in terms of premium volume? You know, it used to be that EB was the smaller side of our business, but it's really grown tremendously. We would say that right now we're about 40-60 split, PNC still having majority, but very, very quickly that line starts to get closer and closer to 50-50. We see some connectivity or increasing connectivity between risk managers and HR professionals, starting to look at some alternate ways to expand coverage, create global programs, but maybe even look at alternative risk solutions like captives. The world's digitizing and focusing on data, for example. And when you talk about 60 billion of premium flows, we're talking about a very substantial amount of data. In fact, that's in excess of the sort of numbers that Aon felt that they'd reached a critical mass when they were marketing services such as Grip over 10 years ago now. 
Are you planning to leverage that in some way with a technology platform, with a data platform, something that's going to be an added value for the group and drawing on its aggregate strength? Or is that all going to stay independent? Yeah, I think it's a combination. We have firms that are quite large and sophisticated, of course, part of the network. So we have to play according to mutual rules. And But the connectivity is really our focus to make sure that our service platform is strong, but also the relationship from the relationship perspective, we're connected. So I think last year with the virtual world, we accelerated our IT plans and capabilities. And with the growth in the network, we definitely are looking to have further expansion on the IT and data front. With our global conferences, for example, playing an important role in our community. During the pandemic, we moved quickly to a virtual platform, allowing for connections to continue. So in a way, IT becomes part of the success story. You don't see it as your role to be perhaps going and getting the best technology and making it available, particularly now as we're moving towards um, digital placement of insurance worldwide. That's not your role. Your role is more connecting everybody together using technology, but more in the communication sense than actually going out and procuring a big system for everybody to use. Yeah, we currently have systems for everybody to use, and it's a platform that's available to all members. Some choose to use their own and then have to connect manually into our system to aggregate the data. But we do see a duplication of effort here. So the solutions that we want to come up with going forward need to be beneficial to both types of members, those that rely solely on our global platform and those that have to abide by their internal rules as well. Does the whole thing mean that you move at the slowest I'm very used to covering the London market where we often lament the fact that because you're a large community of large and small with all different agendas on both the carrier and the broker side, that it becomes quite difficult that you tend to move at the speed of the slowest when you're adopting new technologies. Do you you feel that burden at all? I don't think so. I think that because the network is so focused on production of business, we tend to side with the folks that are moving the fastest. So it's quite opposite. Worldwide particularly when we're ending a soft market phase and underwriters are perhaps now got the wind in their sails a little bit. Certainly acquisition costs seem to be coming under more pressure in the global wholesale world. Is technology going to be a big part or investment in technology going to be a big part of you trying to remove some of those frictional costs and help ease the pressure on brokers' commissions? Yeah, both the IT investment and also resource investment is going to help with the pressures that our clients see. Although, you know, the role that a lot of our brokers play is more consultative. So we've actually seen that there's more pressure on the premiums versus the brokerage consultation. So that's good to see. But at the same time, I think it's important that within the WBN, we don't have the cost pressures that some of our competitors have with minimum premiums out there. I remember having a minimum premium policy placed in the country where for $2,500, but then the brokerage fee was $3,000. So it becomes a little bit lopsided if you ask me. So I think it's important that we have that cost structure related exactly to what the needs and requirements from the client are, and we can have the flexibility in the cost structure. I was reading up on your literature, and is it right to assume that you are an English-speaking network? I see that the condition of membership is built up, maintain an English-speaking desk-to-service network business. Yeah, I'm a prime example of using English as a primary WBM language. I was born in Poland, and my first language is Polish. So, But in order to collaborate, there 
are certainly needs for a common language. So we have teams that are multilingual to ensure that not only they can meet the local client needs, who are primarily local language speakers, but also they can articulate the global benefits and risk management strategies. We're in a global broking world and you've reacted to that. What's your experience of competing with global brokers who've got these 100% owned subsidiaries, 100% P&L, collaboration around the world? What's the experience like? So Mark, let me start by saying that let's not kid ourselves that the fully owned networks actually exist. We have seen the owning phenomenon in geographies where it simply doesn't make P&L sense. We're all here to run a business, so I don't put a fault to it. It's just a smart business decision in some cases. In the last decade, a large broker moved out of sub-Saharan Africa, for example, and now they contract their business out. We actually have members of our network who do business for other large global brokers, even though their owned offices exist in that specific country. To me, that just means service is better. That's just my view. So in a way, I feel like we're ahead of the game. I've been selling the independent structure versus owned for many years. And the passion behind it, again, comes from my experience on the client side. When I was told that culturally service standards differ from country to country. Being a foreign national in the U.S., I took it upon myself to prove that stigma to be wrong. And and really to show that the cultural issue is not the reason. It's the outcome of poor relationships and poor network management. So I'm really proud to say that I've been able to prove that exact idea and now sit as the leader of the global brokerage organization that really treats our clients' business as priority. And it could be August in France, where the world thinks France is off for the entire month, but I'll get a phone call back immediately from the head of international from our partner firm. You know, with COVID, there's certainly been moments when around the globe, teams just fell sick and the needs got elevated to whoever else, even the CEO of their organization to take care of our clients. So the connectivity, the relationships really elevate us. And I think that another differentiator, we talked a little bit about PNC and EB, is that we have those two very big portions of our industry working as one. We don't work in silos like many of our competitors do. And in the global world, I think there are many commonalities between the two sides. From the client's perspective, as I mentioned, there's a lot of connectivity and discussions at the same table between the risk manager and HR manager nowadays. So starting to look at their needs in a holistic way is exactly what the WBN delivers. So when your members are invited to tender for a multinational client in their domestic territory, they don't feel in any way inferior when they know that there's an MMC and an Aon competitor also pitching that afternoon? No, I think the feeling is that we're different, not inferior. I believe that what benefits our clients is that entrepreneurial collaborative environment and having broker choices, having the cost flexibility with no minimum fees. What's also evident is that the teams have lower turnover because of that more creative and empowered positions that they have within their firms and that personalized approach. If you're really an international insurance geek like I am, sitting in the room with 400 other experts from 50 to 100, depending on where we are in the world, country representatives, you really don't get that with our competitors. You know, all of that in that setting, backed by governance and also that IT platform we talked about, I think we continue to stand by the independent structure as the most beneficial. 
you talk about governance, so it's it's all things like E&O and making sure that people are saying the right things to the right people and um, disclosing all the relevant information and the usual stuff that can happen when you end up with an international correspondence situation. Yeah, and it goes all the way to not needing a separate NDA agreements. We really try and look at it from a headquarter holistic way to minimize the administrative burden between the members. So that's your role, that you've got almost a standard terms of business arrangement, you've got e and and you've got almost like a, a quasi-regulator's oversight of conduct to make sure that everyone's doing things to the same standards. Precisely. And, you know, the headquarters are not just involved in the governance piece, but also in training and collaborating and, you know, the consultation for our members as well. You mentioned about fees. How does that work? Do you have to pay an annual membership fee or do you pay a percentage commission or something every time you use the network? Yeah, the members pay an annual fee. And that's it, flat fee. There is a formula that's related to the size and scope of the membership agreement. We've been talking about mega broker consolidation. So how has Marsh McLennan taking over JLT and now the pending merger of Aon and Willis, how has that affected your strategic thinking? Yeah, let's not forget the Gallagher piece that was added to the equation. Uh, Absolutely, yes. I love disruption in our marketplace. That's really my feeling about it. With all that commotion in the industry, we see an opportunity to cater to the clients that truthfully fall through the cracks because their current brokerage teams are more focused on their internal changes. People are worried about their jobs. People are worried about their future. So essentially, clients get lost in the shuffle. So it's an enormous opportunity. So you think the cracks are getting bigger? The cracks continue to get bigger. Yes, I love the noise. But with all this broker consolidation that's always happening around the world, do you get frustrated at all? Do you have a churn of your membership that you keep getting different members getting taken over by one of the big three or big consolidators that exist around the place? Well, it's certainly part of life, but M&A can be looked at both ways. Many of our members are M&A hungry as well. So we get to benefit when they're on the purchasing side. Uh, At the same time, when you see the big brokers consolidating, they're going to be focused on themselves and trying to figure out who stays and who goes from the Marsh, Willis, Aon, Gallagher combination. So there's a little bit less focus on who else to purchase right now. So I think it's going to be a lull when it comes to M&A activity on the independents. We've been operating under a global pandemic. You already mentioned this a little bit earlier on, but has it fundamentally changed the way that the network operates? It has, and I would say in a good way. For a group such as WBN, the personal relationships and face-to-face meetings are key. So during COVID, that option wasn't available, obviously. We didn't realize that we actually couldn't get closer, but through last year, we shifted to even more personalized approach, checking in on each other because we're all friends at this point. As the terrible news shifted from country to country around the world, it was more out of concern that we would have connectivity, making sure our friends were doing okay. And we created touch points like say something good type meeting versus all the negative that we see around us on the day-to-day basis. Um, now, through Zooms and equivalent, we meet each other's dogs, cats kids, etc. So I think it further blurs our personal and professional lines. I definitely appreciate that because now my kids get to know what I do all day long. And, you know, we also embrace that virtual world when it comes to our conferences. And we actually benefited from an expanded audience since the world travel is quite expensive. Not everybody from every farm makes it to our meetings. So I think now we get to see our members have the luxury of participation in bigger numbers. 
are they very regular? Uh, do you have a big global jamboree once a year or, or is it more than once a year? We have our global meetings twice a year and also we have regional meetings as well. The platform is twofold. Other than the relationships that I continue to talk about is our way to collaborate, to train, to share what's new, what's different. But also we bring the clients to the table. I myself, when I was on the broker side, I would bring some of our most complex clients and organize a meeting with, let's say, 40 of their countries represented in one conference room. I'll tell you with 100% certainty that does not happen with our competitors. And the discussion, the open communication that happens is just breathtaking. When a Chinese broker says, hey, did you know that you guys bought a drone in your operations in China? And the risk manager says, what in the world? And immediately we realized within that forum that the communication channels that we've created are so open and so quick that the risk manager gets more intelligence through our brokerage community versus their internal channels. At these meetings, another perceived disadvantage of a smaller broker might be against a large corporate that has all sorts of resources. Might be that, again, about knowledge transfer and more softer skills, things like culture and diversity and inclusion and things that have also come to the fore a lot more recently. And I would presume also things that are now coming to the fore like ESG, for example. Is this the sort of thing that you're, you as a network are trying to remedy and to bring people together and transfer around your network? Yeah, the diversity and inclusion is really not a question for us. We are just diverse by nature. We have members from around the globe. We represent all cultures, all shapes and sizes. We have an incredibly diverse thought leadership. The entire board is representation of our membership. And we have regional representation on the board as well and a very good female-male ratio at this point. We've also had a female CEO for the last five, six years. And the successor is also female. So we're very excited from that standpoint. I think the multi-country background that I bring to the table is certainly not a minority in that sense either, because most of our makeup is a global community. Many of us are multilingual global citizens. So it's, it's great to be included in this incredible group of people. Now, you mentioned soft skills. I was the youngest board member for the WBN and was from day one very focused on extensively expanding our young professional group. We created a true curriculum to enhance collaboration, but also that soft skill training and overall leadership education. We really want to keep young folks in this industry and definitely on the independent side. So we created a platform that I believe is available for all to be heard and feel like they're part of the team. Again, you're doing a lot of work on training and specific skills of all types that are all relevant to insurance brokers around the world. Olga, I think that's all the questions that I've got down on my list. I wanted to ask you maybe if there's a final parting shot from you. Is there anything that you'd like to tell the listeners before we sign off? Yeah, first and foremost, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be representing the WBM brand going forward. We represent the top brokers in every geography where we work. And we are, I believe, the force to be reckoned with. And we're very excited to continue to showcase that. And you're open to new members and anybody who wants to investigate. Yeah, we will always be open to discussions that help us get more well-rounded within the geographies, but also within the service capabilities. Well, Olga, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. It's been a bit of an eye-opener. I had no idea that this network was quite so large in scale. And so good luck with everything. Good luck with competing with those ever-larger brokers around the world. 
and do check in and come speak to us soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling an enterprise view of exposure. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>